In 1608, a group of British traders landed as what we know today as Plymouth, Massachusetts. And there they encountered a group of Indians, a village, and they took those Indians as slaves back to Spain, sold them into slavery. It was a very terrible experience for these Indians, except for one, a young boy. A monk, a Spanish monk, had bought him at the place of trading slaves and took him into his place of residence and taught him the Christian faith. Uh, a few years later, he made his way to England where he learned to speak English and he encountered a man by the name of John Slaney. And uh, John Slaney allowed him to come and to live there and to work for him in the stables. And uh, this young boy asked, young man now, teenage boy, asked that one day that Slaney would make it possible for him to go back to his native land. Well, in 1618, 10 years later, John Slaney made good on that promise, on that commitment to that young man. And that young man went back to his village there at Plymouth and saw it decimated because of an epidemic. Two years later, in 1620, a group of pilgrims, as we know, on the Mayflower came over and landed at Plymouth. Actually, they landed at Cape Cod and made their way to eventually what we know as Plymouth to establish a colony there. These were a group of individuals, primarily those who had left England because they did not believe in the state church, did not believe that they had to worship in the religion of the king, and so they wanted freedom to worship and came to America to do so. That's why they came. They encountered this young man, this Indian, who spoke English. And it, 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 it was an incredible experience, as William Bradford, the governor, shared. And there, this young Indian, as we know today as Squanto, taught these pilgrims how to plant their corn, how to fertilize it with fish, and they were trying to survive. These pilgrims had lived on the Mayflower at port, and they were trying to establish, eventually, a place to live, had a very, very difficult time. Many had died, few were surviving. But Squanto taught them how to, how to grow and how to feed themselves. And that next fall, Thanksgiving, November of 1621, they had the first Thanksgiving meal. It was actually a three-day feast. Uh, they went out with the Indians and they hunted and they brought back and cooked uh, the deer and all the rest that they had killed and had games with each other. And William Bradford talked much about the faith, the Christian faith of this Indian named Squanto. God had a different plan for his life. An amazing story. And that was the first Thanksgiving. On October 3rd, 1789, George Washington, the first president, had a proclamation, a Thanksgiving proclamation, giving thanks to God for the blessings of a new nation. Then on that same day, October 3rd, in 1863, Abraham Lincoln also gave a Thanksgiving proclamation. And after reading it, I wanted to read it to you because I think it's very fitting, these words for today. Lincoln writes, It is the duty of nations as well as of men to owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God 
to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations are blessed whose God is the Lord. We know that by His divine law, nations, like individuals, are subjected to punishments and chastisement in this world. May we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have, the recipient, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious land which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and persevering grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It has seemed to me fit and proper that God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwells in the heavens. Abraham Lincoln, Thanksgiving Proclamation, October 3rd, 1863. Are those words not apropos for today? Is it not true that we as a nation have also forgotten God? And on this Thanksgiving weekend, I think it's appropriate that we look at one of the greatest Thanksgiving stories in all of Scripture. It's an event that happened with Jesus Christ in a group of men. And it has so much application for us today. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. I want to begin reading in verse 11. Luke 17 verse 11. While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed, that is Christ, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with serious skin diseases met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And while they were going, they were healed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Now today I want to talk about the significance of Thanksgiving. I've tried to share that historically, but more importantly, spiritually, why Thanksgiving is so important for you and for me. Here are some principles. Now I know some of you are scared to death when you saw the outline in the bulletin that this is going to be an eternal sermon. Ten points, but don't worry, all right? We'll be out on time. 
Number one, number one, what God does is more important than where he does it. What God does is more important than where he does it. Verse 12, the Bible says, as he entered a village. Now, the name of the village is unknown. It's insignificant. You know, sometimes we think that God has to work at a certain place that can only happen at church. That's where God works. The religious leaders are more concerned about where God uh, was working than, or Christ, than, where, than what he was doing. The miracles had to take place in Jerusalem, in the temple. For God's sakes, he performed a miracle. Sometimes we believe that worship could only happen in a building. But we know that worship happens wherever we are, every day. Every place that you're at is a, place, a time and a place of worship. We think that salvation can only take place at a certain place. And, uh, and, and it can only happen in church. This is where people come to know Christ. Here's the sad thing as I shared last Sunday, that a, a, a member in Jackson, Mississippi of our church went to a, another mainline church for 25 years and never heard the gospel from the pulpit. See, the sad thing is not many are being saved in churches today. Jesus did not say, come in here. He said, go and tell. And so that's why we go into our community and into these homes and into the nations in order that they might know Christ. It doesn't matter where it happens. See, the religious leaders thought as if in Jerusalem. Remember in John 10 when Jesus is having the conversation with the, what, the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And she says that you, you Jews believe that, that you worship God only in Jerusalem there in the temple. That was their mindset. And Jesus helps her understand that now we worship him in spirit and in truth. And one day, he says, there will not be one stone standing on top of another. It'll be totally destroyed, which happened in 70 A.D. What God does is more important than where he does it. Secondly, you stand in need of God's blessings. Verse 12, they stood at a distance. Now, why? Well, the problem was these diseases. Now, uh, scholars and other translations help us understand that it was the disease of leprosy. It's a horrible disease. It eats the flesh and ultimately takes a person's life. Uh, of course, there's treatment today for that, but it was a horrible disease. And in the Jewish culture, whenever uh, uh, you encountered somebody who was well and you had leprosy, you had to say before they got near you, unclean, unclean, unclean. And that was the cue to the person who had no disease that they were encountering somebody with leprosy. And so these individuals were segregated from their families and from their communities. They were isolated, quarantined. We know how bad quarantine was the last two years, right? How horrible that's been. But these lepers were taken out of their homes and out of their communities and put in a leper colony. Or they lived by themselves. They lived in the hills, in the caves surrounding Jerusalem and the Judean desert. It was a horrible experience. And they stood in need of blessing. Well, sin has separated us from God. And the disease, the leprosy of sin keeps us from God. And the world stands in need of God's blessing. But sometimes we treat them as though they have leprosy. That we don't want to get near them. That we don't want to engage them. 
And God has called us to build a bridge, to be the bridge between God and man. Not the Christ, of course. Christ is the Savior, but we're the ones who are introducing them to Christ, helping them understand who He is. You may stand in need of God's blessing today. I don't know what's going on in your life. You may be here, you may think you're a Christian, but down deep inside you know something's missing and you need God's blessing. Some of you are facing great issues in your life and you need God to show up. You need a miracle in your life. You need God's blessing. Notice third though, God desires to bless you. It's in his heart to bless you. Verse 14 says that when Christ saw them, he blessed them. There are several occasions where Jesus had compassion and showed that. In Luke chapter 19, we find that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, what did he do? He wept over the city. He wept over it. When he, John 11, when he came to see Lazarus, Mary and Martha had sent word that Lazarus had died. The shortest verse in the Bible says what? Jesus wept. The Bible says that when Jesus saw the multitudes, that he was moved with compassion. That there was something emotional that happened within him, in his gut, where he was overcome with emotion for those who were sheep without a shepherd. He saw the need and he desired to help them. God desires to bless you. Many believe God cares more about cursing them than blessing them. There are those outside these walls today that think that God is mad at them. That God has cursed them. Many have said to me in, in witnessing to them over the years, the decades, literally, that I'm too far gone. God would not love me. God would not accept me. I'm, I'm too bad of a sinner. Well, the good news is that God desires to bless you. God desires to love you. The world doesn't need to hear they're cursed, although... God is a God of wrath and they stand condemned because of their sin. And that's why we sang the song, Jesus paid it all. But the message they need to hear is that though they're sinners, God desires to bless them, to love them, to lift them, to encourage them, to help them in their needs. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. He desires to do that. Notice number four, God's blessings come unexpectedly. Verse 14, and while they were going, they were thinking that they were going to be healed by the priest in the temple there in Jerusalem. That was the customary place where God worked. That's where God resided. But on their way, unexpectedly, God heals them. There was a certain degree of faith, obviously, demonstrated by the fact that they went to Jerusalem they went on their way look they didn't care who was going to do it or how it was going to get done they wanted to be healed of leprosy Jesus says go they knew he was a miracle worker it's interesting he didn't perform the miracle there while they were standing in front of him because at that moment it wasn't about Jesus he wanted them to go so that they could demonstrate their faith and then it would be about God God's blessings come unexpectedly. God's blessings can come to us while we go, not while we wait. Here's what I've learned over my many years of knowing Christ. That God's timeline is usually not my timeline. Very rarely has the, has the, have those two timelines lined up, have they matched. 
It's almost always different from my timeline. I don't think Kevin would mind me sharing this, but as a staff, we've known about Kevin and Karen's situation. For those who are guests, she had a kidney transplant a few weeks ago. And we, we've known about that for months. And they really expected that this was going to take place early in the summer. But that wasn't God's timeline. And I don't understand all that. They don't. One day they will. But waiting expectantly, they trusted God. And God was at work behind the scenes until one day the miracle happened. That miracle for Karen Coffee happened. And we praise God for that. But it was a different timeline. And some of you are wanting God to show up in a big way. But he's going to come unexpectedly. Because it's the right time, the right place, for the right reason that God's going to come when he comes. So, so don't, don't worry. Concerned, yes. But go expectantly. Knowing that God is at work now and that God is going to bless you. That blessing will come unexpectedly. Don't be surprised by his surprises. Number five, thankfulness should be a natural response. Now we're kind of getting to the heart of really the message today. Thankfulness should be a natural response, verse 15. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned. The response of this one leper was very natural. He didn't think about it. He didn't pray about it. But immediately he saw that he was healed. Can you imagine? Skin that was decayed is now whole. All of his hand is there. All of his arm is there now. And all of a sudden he sees it and he stops and turns around. The other nine, what happened to them? Well, they were thinking about themselves. I want to ask you a question. Is being thankful an easy thing for you? Is it a hard thing? Being thankful to God. Do you ever stop and thank Him for the blessings? Here's the test. How easy or hard is it for you to thank someone here on earth for what they've done for you? Is it hard to say thank you? To be gracious? Well, that's a test of where you are in your graciousness toward God. Thankfulness should be a natural response of a believer. Notice next, number six, thankfulness acknowledges the source of your blessing. Verse 16, he fell face down at his feet. He realized it wasn't himself, it wasn't the priest that had healed him, but it was Jesus Christ. James 1, 7 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. All that you have and are comes from the Lord. When's the last time you fell at the feet of Jesus, overwhelmed by the blessings that he has given you? Notice number seven, a thankful person wants others to know what God has done. Here in verse 15 it says, with a loud voice, he gave glory to God. His thanksgiving wasn't done in secret. He didn't believe that his, his experience, his spiritual experience was something personal or private not to be shared. That's nowhere in the scripture. Nowhere. But with a loud voice, he gave glory to God. He wanted others to know. He wanted the world to know what Christ has done in his life. What about you? Who have you told about what God has done in your life? Not just your salvation, but, but the other blessings. Who is responsible for the good that has happened in your life? It's God.
Number eight, God's blessings are for all people. Did you notice verse 16? What Luke records here? And he was a Samaritan. He didn't say that there were ten Samaritans. He didn't say there was one out of ten that was a Samaritan. He waits for the punchline. And one was a Samaritan. It's kind of like the Good Samaritan story, right? One was a Samaritan. Now, what's the deal there? We've studied this before in the Good Samaritan story. But if you remember, after the Davidic kingdom, it was divided into two. The northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. In 722 B.C., the northern kingdom was attacked. It was located in Samaria. The Assyrians came and took the Jews out. Some were left, but Assyria put foreigners from Assyria back into the location of Samaria. They intermarried with the Jews, and that's who became the Samaritans. Now, we know in 586, the southern kingdom was uh, exiled by the Babylonians. But when this happened in 722, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They despised each other. And you find in the encounters that Jesus had, for special reason, intentional reason, Jesus encountered Samaritans to help the disciples know and the religious leaders know that God's love, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is for all people. God's blessings are for all people, not for a special group, but for everyone. So he gives us this punchline. He was a Samaritan. Sometimes our problems divide us, but sometimes our problems unite us. And the problem of leprosy had united them, and God's blessings was for all of them, not just the one. The leprosy of sin has united all of us, all of mankind, and all of us can experience God's blessing through Jesus Christ, His forgiveness. Notice number nine, God expects you to be thankful. Verses 17 and 18, notice these three questions Jesus asked. Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now what is it showing there? God expects us to be thankful to Him. It's not just something we should do. It's what He expects of us. Have you ever done something for somebody else and they don't say thank you? They don't show gratitude for it. How do you feel about that? Well, you learn over time that's how a lot of people are. And hopefully you don't get cynical about it. But we expect people to say thank you, don't we? For what they've done or what we've done for them. Hey, and if I haven't said thank you, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me, because <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody I missed. But I worked, I really try to write thank you notes, and I try to acknowledge when people have done something. Uh, but none of us are perfect in that, are we? But in general, what's your attitude about that? Well, I can tell you what God's attitude is. He wants us to stop and give glory to Him for what He's done. Notice finally, thankfulness is a sign of a true believer. This is important, verse 19. And he told him, get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Better translated, your faith has saved you. The other nine received a physical blessing. 
But this man, this leper, not only received a physical blessing, but a spiritual blessing. The fact that he stopped and gave thanks to God for the blessing proved that he was a true believer. The other nine had a temporary faith. Oh, they believed when they needed the healing, but after that, they're gone. But this one shows us that he was a true believer because of a grateful heart. Now, I want to give you an assignment today as we close out the message. I'm only going to ask you to do three things, all right? Number one, I want you to make a list of God's blessings over this past year. I know it's probably been busy. Thanksgiving, we think, well, there's several days, holidays, and we can pause and give thanks. I mean, really, how many of us stopped and really gave thanks and thought about it seriously? I didn't have a lot of time to do that. But I, I did, early this morning, I started to think and write down the blessings that God has given me. And I'll share a couple of those in just a moment. But why is this important? Well, it's important that we do it so that we give thanks to God. We're reminded of that. But more importantly, that when you do this, it will prove to you once again that God has been at work in your life. Are you here today and you're saying to yourself, I just don't see God doing anything in my life. Well, stop and think about the blessings that you've received, and I promise you, you'll get over that. You'll realize, hey, God has been working in my life. God has been good to me, and I can give glory to Him for the little things that have happened, big things that have happened. But for some of you, it may be as simple as, I didn't wake up with pain today. Some of you may say, I didn't have a surgery this year, and I'm grateful, or whatever else. My kids got up on time for school today. Hey, I'm grateful. We just, we just don't realize that we get in this, the doldrums, we get caught up in a funnel, and Satan begins to deceive us and to lie to us. And we begin to believe it. And he drains us emotionally so that we become weak and vulnerable. And the way we get out of that, out of that cycle of spiritual dysfunction, is to stop and give thanks to God. That works in your marriage, by the way. Stop focusing on the weakness in the other person that you're married to. And stop and give thanks for the many good things that they're doing. And God will honor that. He'll bless that. It'll get you out of that, that cycle of marriage dysfunction. When you focus on the positive rather than the negative. And it's true spiritually. That's what God wants to do. So, make a list. Give God thanks for his work in your life. Number two, thank someone in the past. I've, I've shared this before, I'm sure. But surely there's somebody in your past who's had a positive influence in your life. And it was life-changing. And have you told them that? Have you thanked them for what they've done? Our daughter Alyssa got married a year ago, uh, this past June, and I saw a man there in Texas that I stopped and thanked him for the investment that he made in my life when I was very young in my faith. And I, I'm forever grateful. It had a major impact. Stop and thank somebody. But also, thank someone this week. Pastor, I'm not good at thanking people. Okay, well, let's start doing that this week. Somebody does something for you, a server, a waiter, uh, somebody in the home does something for you. 
Stop and say, thank you for doing that. I, I was blessed by you doing that. It will bless you. It will bless them by doing that. That's the assignment. Well, I'm thankful today for a lot of reasons. I'll just name a few. I'm thankful for my salvation and the work of God in my life. I had no idea that this is where I would be at this stage and time in my life. And, and to see all that God has done, not just in saving me, but how he truly has blessed me, the answered prayers over the years. I'm thankful for my wonderful family. I couldn't be doing this without a supportive and loving wife for 40, almost 42 years. Uh, and I'm so blessed by that. Our children, spouses, grandchildren. And uh, by the way, got one on the way, Andrea. I don't know if I told you all that. Number, her third. That's number eight for us. Y'all need to catch up, all right? I'm thankful for Linwood. I'm thankful for our staff. You know, we, we, we're not a perfect staff, but I can tell you this, that we love God and we truly love each other. We care about one another. We help one another. Uh, and it's, it's a delightful experience to be a part of this staff. So many churches have dysfunctional staffs. You're blessed not to have that, believe me. And we're very blessed to have the staff we do. And I enjoy working with them. Uh, it's, it's a joy to be a part of their lives. And uh, it's like, you know, right now we're trying to hire a student pastor, and there's no perfect staff candidate. When we hired the president at Hannibal LaGrange University, I told the team that, look, there's no perfect candidate for the president of this university. And uh, God will bring us the right person, and we'll be able to see who it is. But I'm thankful for this staff. I'm thankful for our deacon council. The Deacon Council was established just before I became your pastor almost 15 years ago. You had voted to do that, and, uh, you know, and I didn't know how that was going to work out. I had never been a part of a church that had that format as far as church polity. But it's worked extremely well. And these are men who serve as laymen who have no agenda. They care about this church. They love you. And... They want God's will and God's very best for this church. And I, I'm, I'm very grateful for the, the leadership. It's, it's worked very well. And it's the reason for the health and the stability of this church, one of the primary reasons. A lot of churches that, that are in dysfunction, they're very unhealthy. But we need to give God thanks and give him glory for the health and stability of this church. We are extremely blessed. I'm thankful for Linwood Christian Academy. Two years ago, we began this endeavor, and God has blessed this school. It's growing, and we see a great future for it. We believe that God called us to do it, and therefore we were obedient to that call. And I'm grateful to God to see his blessings with Linwood Christian Academy. But most of all, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the privilege of being your pastor and serving uh, now almost 15 years, the second time, uh, serving here previously six years. And I'm so grateful for you. Every pastor in America should be able to pastor this church at least one week of their life. I, I, I hate to say this, but you need to know that, that there are a lot of pastors in churches. It's very hard work. It's, it's very hard. Uh, and and it's, not, it's not good situations. And so you've been such a blessing to me, and I'm so grateful for, for you and what God is doing in your life and to be 
your shepherd at this time, the under-shepherd in your lives. Well, in these closing days of 2022, I have much to give thanks. What about you? Can we just stop today for a moment as God spoke to us from his word and say to him, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your grace in our lives. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be somebody here today who would say, Pastor, I've come to realize that I have the disease, the leprosy of sin. And I need to be cured spiritually. I need God's forgiveness for my sin. We sang a minute ago, Jesus paid it all. A great song that so clearly states that he has paid for your sin when he died on the cross. He had you on his mind when he died. A cruel death. And today... You can have your sin forgiven, begin a journey of faith with God, and experience the blessing of salvation, but many, many other blessings. The greatest miracle of all miracles. So when we sing this next song, I'm going to invite you to come to one of our pastors who will help you and encourage you today and uh, lead you into a relationship with Christ. There might be others who are here and say, Pastor, this has been good for me today because the Lord has reminded me His goodness in my life, His blessing. Look, you're, you're dealing with an issue. It's a tough time right now. But be encouraged, God is at work. And ask Him to give you the faith to go where He has led you to go. And as you're going, expect the blessing. He didn't say how or when, but He said He would do it. So go in faith, believing. And he'll honor that. And it'll be a sign of your true faith in Christ. There might be others that God is leading you to become part of our church family. We've had several join us over the last month. Had a conversation this week of another family that's joining us. And if God is leading you to do that, you come this morning. Others may want to come privately, prayerfully at the altar and pray alone. Others of you may want someone to pray for you. We'll do that now as well. God, I'm so grateful for your grace, your goodness in my life, in the lives, in the life of this church, the lives of these who are here. Lord, help us not to take it for granted. Help us not to be like the nine who just go on their way, thinking of themselves. May we be the one who stops and comes to you humbly and give you glory and praise for all that you are and all that you are doing in our lives. Help these who need to come now. In Jesus' name, amen.